Welcome to the Minimalist CEO Podcast with Nate Lindquist. Nate created the Minimalist CEO Method to help business owners redefine and grow their businesses by finding new demand in places they never thought to look where there's no competition. By following his opposite thinking strategy, Nate's coaching clients have grown their business up to 40% in just two months and created tens of millions of dollars in revenue. Nate himself has launched more than 140 businesses. On the show, Nate interviews successful business owners and experts who share the secrets you can use to have a better business and a better life. Hey everyone, Nate Lindquist here with another episode of the Minimalist CEO Podcast, and I'm here with a great guest. He's a young guy, and uh, you're going to meet Matt DeBara here in a second. He's the CEO of DeBara Masonry out in Los Angeles. He's got this amazing century legacy. And Matt, welcome to the show. I'm Nate Lindquist. I'm Matt DeBara. Thank you, Nate, for having me. Yeah, man, good to have you on here. So I'm, I'm looking at some of your stats here. I know per, people heard a little bit about, about your bio. You started in masonry, learning to mix your first bag of concrete at nine years old. Did you really mix concrete at nine years old? I did. I did. It's actually a funny story. Um, I had too much energy as a kid. And uh, my mom, basically, my dad wanted to take me to work. And my mom said I was too young. And so uh, I was running around in the house. I was stirring up trouble with the kids in the neighborhood. And so finally, my mom said, you know what? Take him. He's got too much energy. Do something with him. And uh, my dad took me on a job site. And the bag of concrete was 94 pounds. And I weighed about 80. And so I remember I walked over and he's like, here's your job. And I was like, I can't lift that. And he says, I know. And he handed me a razor blade and he cut it open. He said, four shovels is a half a bag. He said, eight is a full bag. He's like, here you go. And that was my first day of work. Wow. And since then, now this is a legacy business. And since then, you know, we've talked a little bit before the podcast started and I've spent some time looking into what you've been doing. You've really been passionate and learning about the building blocks of this masonry business that's been in your family for, you're the fourth generation, is that right? Yes, yep. And you also have a passion for personal development and for connecting what you do in business to helping other people. And really, I think in a lot of ways from what I'm hearing from you is you're passionate about creating a clearinghouse in your business and for your relationships to help people get where they wanna go and they're doing it uh, in, in your business as well. So if you could just kind of tell me a little bit about like, you know, you say you're 28 years old. Yep. And you're in the masonry business. You've, you've got this huge responsibility of grabbing the reins. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into this business and where these passions come from, man. Well, you know, as a kid, I always looked up to my dad. And uh, my dad was a contractor. You know, he had the masonry company. And he was also a police officer at night. And, uh, you know, he worked really hard. Um, my family's from Italy, um, Italian immigrants that, that came over here. And we just, we, I learned two things. I learned working hard. And I learned to take pride in what you do. I think those are two keystone pillars that define me as a person. Third one would be treat everybody like they're your neighbor. A little bit of a tangent, but I think it's important. When my great grandfathers came from Italy to America, they each, so my grandmother's father and my grandfather's father, they each bought plots of land. They dug holes for the basements, built the walls, put the first floor on and lived in the basement as they built the rest of the house. And the masonry company was never supposed to be a thing here in America. It was what they knew and they helped their neighbors um, is how it all started. And so there was this, there was this belief and philosophy that, um, you know, treat clients and customers like they're your neighbor. 
And that's because, you know, you'd see their kids in school and at the grocery store and you couldn't, if you did bad work and you had to look at it every day and it was falling apart, it was a problem. And so I think, you know, that's a huge, huge part of what I know. Wow. So as you're, as you're sharing this with me, it's, you're talking about accountability and caring about your neighbors. And I think if, if, if I, if my experience has served me in anything, it's like, there's this unconscious awareness of how did you do for that person who you helped? But you're talking about there's, there's masonry work at your neighbor's house that you can see out your window. Did you care for him? Did you take care of him? So, um, you know, 102 years in business, uh, a work ethic and a commitment to helping neighbors. And uh, now it's been passed down to you. So you're, you're running the masonry business. You're out in Los Angeles. Can you share some of what those experiences have been as you've grabbed the reins to, uh, to really honor that legacy over 100 years? Yeah, yeah. You know, I love my dad. He's, he's great. Um, but he has a lot, of, uh, a lot of the old school ways of doing things. And so I think the, the hardest, uh, one of the hardest things for me was to really trust my gut. Um, you know, I wanted to grow the company. I wanted to do more, uh, you know, different types of work. I wanted to take a lot of what the uh, family, my family had done and build upon it, but also to add in certain things. I wanted to grow the company. I wanted more people to be a part of it. I wanted to offer, you know, really great wages. I had this vision of a company. So I had what we, what was, you know, my father had started and my grandfather and great grandfather and I had where I wanted to go. And so it was a big leap of faith to really break a lot of the older traditional uh, norms that we had, you know, regarding hiring more crews and uh, placing accountability on people because a lot of who we had involved in the company was family. And when you're working with family, you get a certain level of pride and care and trust. Bringing in new people can be a little bit scary. And so, you know, that was a big piece of it was the growth and the expansion and venturing out um, that, that I brought in, but that I really had to trust my gut because my dad wasn't necessarily, it wasn't a fun, easy, simple conversation to have. So you talk about, I mean, old school values and, and changing some of the old methods and, and, and um, ways of doing things. But it would seem to me that like old ways may have a series of strengths. So I'd just be curious, what were some of the old ways specifically that you had to change and, and how did you change them? Yeah, I think one of the big ones, you know, I remember was uh, I had to unlearn a lot of things. Uh, let's put it that way. You know, my dad would say things like, um, you know, nobody's going to work as hard as, as those in the family and, you know, certain limiting limiting beliefs, if you will, um, that stemmed from a really good place. You know, it was it was always wanting to over deliver for the clients. Um, it was wanting to do the best that we could, but a little bit of a, a fear of what bringing, you know, new people in and trying new services uh, would do it. And it, it all stemmed from wanting to over deliver, you know, trying a new service, uh, using new materials. It was, well, you know, what if we don't do a great job or what if we, um, you know, what if we don't meet a timeline we promised? Whereas I was more willing to really embark on that journey because I saw what it would do for the company and the brand years down the line. And, and I want this to be something that, you know, we, we really, we grow, but also that, you know, my kids can benefit from and will enjoy. Eventually, I don't have any now, but I'm thinking, you know, five, six moves down the board. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, if you know, I'm looking at your young guy, you've taken over the business. I'd love to see, you know, one thing I talk about minimalist CEO and in the clients who I mentor at, uh, at minimalist CEO and Interspire Inc. is when you're working in a company, you've got to work on your gifts. You've got to do the thing that's your thing. 
So in a role of CEO, if you could, you know, you jumped in, you were, you were doing masonry, is that correct? When you started? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and you did that for a number of years. What, when, the, when you became the guy in charge and had this goal of growing the business in the way that you wanted and this new vision that you're describing, how, I mean, it, when did it become like, hey, Matt's going to be the CEO and you're like, wow, I'm going to be the CEO and now I've got to do something with this using my gifts. So how did that happen and what, what is the gift that you're bringing to this? What's the role that you're playing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because when I reflect back as you're talking, I'm thinking and the CEO role and, and the growth in the company was very, it, it was parallel to my journey in the field because I started, you know, I started as a laborer who knew nothing. I mean, you know, my first job, as you have in the bio, that was mixing, uh, you know, mortar and concrete. The second was picking up trash. And, you know, that was literally the second thing my dad did. He handed me a trash bag. He says, I don't want to see plastic water bottles on the job. I don't want to see any trash. And so I worked from this laborer. And, and I learned a sense of, I learned a sense of humility. And then I worked my way up from a laborer to a semi-skilled laborer, to a mason, to a foreman. And the parallels there are that you, you have to relearn everything at a new level. So it was like, I became a great laborer and I'm showing up to work and it's easy. And then it's like, great. Now you're a mason. I'm like, I don't know any of this. And so it's, it's the ability to shift and learn quickly um, that w when I took over the company and I stepped into the role as, as CEO, it was, it was that same feeling of, oh my gosh, this is, I have to, you know, not unlearn per se, but very quickly learn a completely different skill set um, and really tap into what I'm good at, which I think is leading people and, and you know, setting a, a flagpole, you know, a, a couple hundred feet down the field and saying, this is where we're going. Mm. And then getting the rest of the team, you know, on board with that, that mission and that vision. But the field stuff really, really prepared me um, that that constant changing and shifting without realizing it. It was like my dad was building uh, a CEO, uh, like the karate kid. It was like I was going through this journey. And at the time, I was not, not angry, but I was like, why is he so hard on me? Why is this so difficult? But it was like, it was that pushing of growth. And, I, and, and it was the moment that I took over the company and I was dealing with all of these things that I wasn't quite familiar with and but the, the situations were the same as being in the field. I was like one step at a time, ask questions if needed. You know, there was all these simple things that I had done as a young kid, you know, 10, 12, 14, running crews at 15 that I was able to lean on that kind of connected all the dots for me. Like, oh, this was all, I was being trained for this. Yeah, that's interesting. So you, you have that perspective that says, I remember what it was like being in the field. You, you shared that you have a powerful vision for uh, bringing a team together that where everybody works hard, everyone's moving towards that flag that you have 200 yards down the field. So um, was there a point and could you share what happened? Was there a point where you stopped, like you, you left one day from working in the field and, and mixing concrete and you went into the office, you know, you went into be the CEO and you said, you know, there has to be a letting go, right? I would imagine there had to be things, you know, what we've seen in construction companies and small service businesses and a lot of businesses, it's like, I'm now going to run the company, but then you find out that they don't let go, you know, and you're doing, uh, I would imagine, well, from a revenue standpoint, you're, you're doing over a million bucks a year that, and that was your goal oh, yeah. and you're doing well over now. You're growing that. So you're, you've blown the doors off your goal and you don't have to share exactly what that is, but can you share a little bit of the process of letting go? And do you remember the moment when you're like, Whoa, I'm in suit clothes. I'm dressed up. I'm not out there with gloves on. 
let's start with that. How did, how did you do that? What were those steps? How'd you get to that point? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, it was, it was hard for me because uh, take one step back to connect everything. I went to a vocational high school and I placed second in the country in a brick playing competition. So I thought for many years, I was like, I want to be the best bricklayer in the world. And so it's, it's, it was a, a struggle of understanding, okay, this is what I thought I wanted, but I also had this big vision of running, you know, the family business and making it really big and, you know, and being a national, national name. And so it was really the, the turning point for me, the mental shift, which, which happened first was for me to get there, I can't be in the field laying brick every day. And that was the first realization. So it was this, this key pivotal shift of, well, you know, this has to go in order for me to grow. And so to answer your question specifically, there was a, I realized that the best transition for me to get out of the field, which was the hardest part was for me to go into sales, was for me to actually go and meet the clients. That was it. That was probably the easiest transition. And so that was the first jump that I made. Um, but I remember it. I remember the first day, you know, selling a project and I was putting on uh, uh, shoes, like nice shoes and lacing up my boots. And I remember that day and I was a little bit sad. I was, it was a weird feeling because I was sad, but happy because it was like, I truly enjoyed being out there with my dad. And there was a lot of things that I was going to have to give up in order to get where I wanted to go. You know, I mean, some of the best memories I have were on projects with my dad, you know, building, uh, you know, different, different projects and that bond. And I knew this was just me alone selling projects, but it was for something much bigger. So I was okay with it. So, you, you know, as you made that transition, was there an element of like, I'm going to have to train someone to take my place in the field, like a project manager or a site manager or a foreman or a super on the job? Like, was that the next step for you is finding someone to or someone's to replace what you were doing? Yeah, I think when I made the shift mentally, so the mental shift was first that that for me to get where I want to go, that I can't be laying brick in the field every day. Then we, we started looking for people and it's tough because all of a sudden I looked and I said, I don't know if there's anybody that can replace what I'm doing at this level. So immediately it shifts your frame of mind. Like, Oh, I got to find somebody that can operate, you know, the, the same way I do in the field. Um, Cause we have, you know, we have a great team, but there was a, uh, you know, I mean, I, like I said, the brick lane competition and the, there was, there were certain things that I brought to the table on really, really difficult jobs. That was a void we needed to fill. So all of a sudden the hiring process changed the vetting process changed. It was like, this is the target. Mm. And so, you know, we, we started looking. Which to be more like to, to be able to do work more at, of the caliber that you were doing and having a set of standards that you hired against. And maybe did you hire from within? Did you hire outside? Did you do a little bit of both? We did both. Um, we did both. It was just for me, it was the big thing. There was an unrelenting standard. I was like, this is the target. I'm not going to sell. I did. I did hundreds of interviews, hundreds. I mean, I once the work was getting done. So you're out in, you know, you're out where you're in the office, you're, you're doing sales, you're doing estimates. How did you make sure that when that work was happening at your neighbor's house, that they weren't doing a shitty job? I mean, you got a real risk here. You got a family's brand, you got a legacy. Oh, we got this new guy, Carl, and he's out there and he's going to, you know, he seems to have a good resume. Everything looks good on paper. He's out in the field three days into a job. It's how do you know if it's going well? And then how do you scale that? You've replaced one person, maybe two people. How do you scale that to make sure it keeps going well? Yeah, I mean, we had a, we had, you know, we had a really good team. So it, it, was, it was about replacing me. And I was always the one who got the really, really hard projects, right? So it was like 80% of our work 
could be filled, but it was that 20%. And that was really the Debara difference. We would take on projects that people couldn't figure out, didn't know how to do, you know, historical restoration. Pro I mean, things that just, the clients would be like, we, we can't even get a, anybody to bid this thing. And I'm like, we'll do it. You know? We're going to be able to figure out how to do it right. Yeah. And so we would, uh, so I had a good team and, uh, you know, it was a lot of, it was a lot of interviews, but to manage it, the first thing was I had a meeting with the foreman and I got everybody on the same page. I said, look, this is what we're doing. You know, this is where we're heading. And then I had them send photos. And I think at that time it was, gosh, it would have been four or five times a day. You know, it was just pictures of the job. I wanted to see close up and far away. And I would get photos from all four or five of these foremen while I'm on sales appointments. So it would be like nine o'clock, 12 o'clock, two o'clock, four o'clock. And then I wanted a phone call at the end of the day because I managed every project like it was my neighbor or my family. I was like, there is no, you know, there is no room for error. And then we, we came up with a process where we, um, and I think this will be helpful is where we vetted anybody new. So I took the bricklaying competition that I did in high school and won second in the country and I modeled that. And so I would, I would actually have people come to our yard and build on the weekends. I'd line up three, four five of them. I'd go there on a Saturday. I'd open it up. I'd set all the work areas and they, you know, cause one of the hardest things about this industry is you have to be mentally capable and you have to be physically capable. So, you know, you have to be able to read blueprints and think critically, but you also have to be able to do the work. So I'm like, how do I, you know, so many people say they can do it. How do you manage that? So we would, I would, I mocked up that competition and had them actually, you know, build right in front of me. And would you tear everything down after they were done? Is that how it works? Everything. Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, that's awesome. So you created a challenge internally for the team. It sounds like you made it fun. So I, I would love to know then um, in the process of taking over the helm, you know, you're adopting someone else's team, it sounds like, and there had to be a transition there. Like, you mean you're going to put the kid in charge? How did you overcome that? And what are some of the challenges that you face in growing a, a successful business as a hands-on business owner? Yeah, I think, you know, it ties back to being in the field. I mean, I remember the first day I was a foreman, you know, I was, a fo I was running crews at 16. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's when you're telling a 30, 40, 50 year old person how to do something, you, you better know how to communicate. Um, and that was, that was a big thing. So I relied on a couple of things. The, the fact that I knew what I was doing and the fact that it was always collaborative and I was humble. So it was never, Hey, do this. It was always, you know, uh, what are your thoughts on this? What's the best way to do this? And we would have team huddles. So I came up with this thing where we would literally, if we ran into a job site issue, instead of pulling the foreman aside, I would pull the foreman, the Mason and the laborers aside and we would stop all work and we'd say, all right, we, we came across this gas line. What do we think we need to do here? And I would ask everybody. So it wasn't, you know, I didn't believe in one thing that my dad taught me was, uh, and it was the family ethos was we didn't believe in, in, in uh, job titles and, and seniority. You know, I remember the first day my dad had me lay brick. We had a, a, a guy working for us that was there for about 15 years. And, uh, you know, he was laying brick and he was slow that day, you know, might have been tired or whatever. Quality was great, but speed wasn't. And he says, all right, Matt, you're up. And he pulled him off and had a mixed mortar for me. And he said, I'm going to see. And he said, an hour, in an hour, if you lay more brick than him, he said, you're going to be on the wall. And wow. so it was this, you know, it wasn't a, a disrespect thing, but it was like, look, at the end of the day, what's most important is the job for the client. There is no ego here. If mm -hmm. you're tired today, you can mix mortar. We're going to get this thing done on our timeline and with our quality standards. Yeah. That's amazing. Your level of focus on that, the, the ability to be the humble quarterback, you know, and not that just the like, Hey, you know, I'm the best guy in the team. So I'm going to tell you what to do. 
to be able to demonstrate, you know, if you look at the strength in any relationships, we talk a lot to our clients about understanding the storm. So getting that job done is the storm, but being able to seek understanding, look at the root cause that creates cooperation, that creates collaboration. You seem to have that at a very young age. And this team huddles idea is like, okay, the story that, I, you know, in relationships, the story that I'm telling myself is that you're, you're doing the best on that wall and there's something keeping you from, you know, hitting the goal, solving the problem. So let's regroup, help me understand what's really going on. And you allow, if I'm not mistaken, you allowed them to tell you what was going on. You didn't say you're wrong. So what were those conversations like when you're talking to this 50 year old, like, you know, grizzled, rough, big handed masonry dude who, you know, with biceps that are bigger than my leg, like how did those conversations go? You know, they, they weren't always easy. You know, they were definitely, they were, they were hard. I, I think, you know, it's just, there, you, there's a, a relational re, relationship equity that, that is built. I think that's a key, key part of it, right? You know, like I was always the first one on the job. I was the last one to leave. You know, I didn't always ask for help necessarily. I was the type of person where, you know, for example, if we got a delivery on a job site, and I think this kind of ties into what you're saying, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be the one to be like, all right, everybody stop. Let's unload this thing. I would just start carrying bags, right? I would just start carrying bags and I would see if I carried six or seven of them, you know, the laborer would come over and then the mason, then the foreman. And so it was really, it was a lot of subtleties that, that built up that equity to then be able to go in these conversations and say, look, we got a five day deadline at this pace. We're at eight days. You know, I need your help. And I always made it a fun challenge. I think that was a big key part of it was never being like, you know, look, it was always about, the, the one thing I think that we unintentionally created an ethos for was, was the client, you know, and I said, look, it's not about me. You know, I don't care if this thing takes 12 days, truly. We promised the client five days and I'm not paying you, right? The client's paying you. I'm not paid by, you know, I'm paid by the client. You're paid by the client. So we, we just did a good job of explaining, look, you know, this isn't, you're not here to make me happy. We're here to make the client happy. And we promised them five days. So how can we get there? You know, what's, what's this going to take? And it was always like, a, I like to make fun challenges. That was another key, key thing that we did was, you know, I'd get in there and I, I would start laying, you know, that'd be like a fun thing for the guys. Cause when I became a manager in the field, I wasn't really working. And so every so often, if we were behind, you know, I would lay, like I would get in there for an hour. I'd be like, come on, let's see You guys are doing, you know, 40 blocks an hour. Let's even get 60. And I'd be in there pushing and laying the blocks and, you know, and then it'd get everybody excited. And that was most of the conversations. Every so often you had to have a tough one where it was, you know, and I think this will be helpful is you need to have that conversation of, you know, we're not leaving until it's done. And that was the tone. And, you know, sometimes we had to have those, you know, we pull out a set of lights. I just, I was never a, a, a really tough, you know, leader per se, but it was, if there was a situation where my, my dad was like, look, we are going to, you know, this project on Monday and, you know, it's a new relationship. We need to be there. And, you know, we were struggling to get it done on Friday. I would just say, look, guys, we're staying until this is done. And I'd go to the trail, I'd grab a set of lights and I'd say, these are, I'd plug them in and I'd be like, we're here until it's done. So, you know, but that would set the stage for how serious I was if it was, if it were that situation. Boy, a moment where you really separate the men from the boys. Like if, if you're here, a team player, those lights come out, you rally, cry, you put on your battle cap, you know, you you get your hat on backwards and you're like, let's go. So that's good. And the other one's whine and whine. And then you got to, I think it, crystallizes the people who are in there for the team and the people who are in there for themselves. So that's brilliant. You've got uh, wisdom in this beyond your years, man. I'm super, it's, you know, I don't, you don't need to impress me, but I got to tell you, anyone listening to this who's in a business is learning, you know, our listeners are going to learn from you and uh, whatever business I'm building, I, I would absolutely say, listen, Matt, like 
I want your in- input. I want your insight. It's, it's brilliant. It's, it's, I, I say that all, you know, I, I've had a lot of interviews. I've connected with a lot of people in business and uh, this is the, you're the real deal, man. So I'm going to challenge you then in a couple places before we wrap up. Cause we are running, we're running short on time. And I just, sometimes I, you know, I wish like, this is one of those interviews where like, I wish we could just go for an hour or more. And uh, we, maybe we will get to that point. I, I love the idea for sure of digging deeper and having you back. I want to build something with you. Maybe not with brick, but <laughs> I for sure want to. Okay. So you're in a business. Let me give you a scenario. And today you're in a business, say you're in a building business, construction, whatever, which is, you know, in, in alignment with what you're doing and you want to reinvigorate your business and you're, you've still held on. So you're the owner, you're the founder, you've, you've still held on to so much. Maybe you're now in your fifties and you're, you're still like holding on too much, but you're doing two or $3 million worth of business, but there's a bunch of opportunities. You can't get estimates done enough. You can't seem to find the right people. And cash flow is so tight, you're hesitating to hire people. There's people not getting paid, but you're very good at what you do. What do you do? What's the first thing you do? And I would say this is how I want you to answer it. And it's a big question. What do you do today? What do you do over the first 30 days? And what do you do over the first 90 days? And you don't have to give the whole story, but what do you, someone brings you in in that situation. What advice, what's, let's go to the, you got to fix this situation. What do you tell that person? Yeah. Great question. I mean, the first thing, you know, I've, I've been in, I obviously have, I've owned other businesses and, and have sold and bought and you know, we can get into that. Because you're, it's like you're 20, so you obviously you've owned other businesses. That's another rabbit trail that we can go down, but not, it's not obvious to me, but man, I bet you whatever business you do run, you're probably going to run the hell out of it and do a great job. Exactly. And this one in particular, I would say the first, for me, the first thing is commitment, right? Because I think effort, and tenacity follows commitment. When I, when I became really serious about growing the family business, when I became serious about you know, becoming a bricklayer, when, I, when my commitment, the first thing is, is setting the flagpole on the ground and saying, I am wholly committed to doing this because there's gonna be trials, there's gonna be tribulations, you're gonna be exhausted. I mean, there's all these things that, that in my experience, at least I can speak for me, will come up. So it's, it's, it's reinforcing that commitment, right? And, and really nailing that down. Then the second part, the second thing I would do, you said one day, 30 days, 90 days. I know that every day I have to do what's in front of me. The only way I would know how to address this is to say, okay, I can't quit my job. I can't stop doing what I'm doing, right? I've created where I'm at. So I have to now do the eight hours of things that I've already assigned, right? Or I'm already doing because a business doesn't change overnight. Your mind can, your, 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 your mental place can shift. You can, you can have the mindset of a CEO, but your, your physical, I mean, I was a, a, you know, I, I was a foreman, a really great foreman when I had that mental shift. So you make the commitment, you know, follow through comes with commitment. And then the second piece of that is doing what you have to do every day, not trying to throw that away because it's unrealistic in some cases. Right. And then investing at like, for me, what I did was I invested time at night. So I, you know, the first day, create a plan. I'm building out a plan and saying, okay, how do I get from where I am to where I need to be? And I'm a logical guy. I'm not a, you know, I didn't have business school education. I didn't have, you know, I went to school for construction management. So business for me was always just a logical thing. It was, okay, I'm here. This is where I want to go. That's the first thing anybody can do that, right? Where do I want to go? Then breaking that down and saying, all right, well, what does that look like? What are some of the things that I would need? So day one through probably day four, I'm planning and refining the plan. And then the first 30 days, I have to reinvest time. I have to create more time 
which is created through the commitment. So I've got my commitment. Now I'm willing to invest more time, right? So I have to use maybe a few hours a night that I'd be relaxing to, to maybe read up on something that I'm not familiar with or take a course or work with a mentor or join a mastermind. But I need to do something that's going to move me forward because potentially who I was is not going to get me to who I want to be. So you're talking about that becoming. Exactly. Yeah. People, if there's an obstacle and it's in alignment with what you're saying, it's kind of like the butterfly. The idea is like, you don't, you don't necessarily navigate a trail around the mountain. You say, who would you have to become to no longer have that mountain in the way? Exactly. So, and then on the other side, it's like, yeah, but also be willing to start hiking. <laughs> you know, you gotta, there's like the hiking and the becoming. I see people like, now I'm a CEO. I've become that. I'm becoming that. I've learned that. It's like, you stopped hiking. And the other side is, I started hiking, but I don't know how to navigate. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know who I'm going to become. So I think it's a balance of both that we've noticed. And, and I also think it's a stripping away, like you mentioned earlier, the limited beliefs, like I don't have the money. It's like, oh, I only have a couple thousand or $5,000 in the bank. I can't take the time to do an estimate. So what I tell my clients is, what's some low hanging fruit? What's an opportunity? What could you do right now to put, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 extra in the bank right away? How could you creatively arrive at that? And how quickly can you do that? And can you start taking the steps right now? And, and then it's definitely the commitment. So that's huge. I think already what you've shared is, is super valuable. I just have, I would say one more thing that I'd love to ask is if you were to identify a big mistake that you've made where you really just fell on your face in the business, where you're like, whoa, that was, I think mistakes are just an amazing launch pad to new opportunities. So where's a place where you fell flat on your face? And first, what happened? And then how did you turn it around? That's a good one. I call it earning your stripes. So yeah. how did you earn your stripes? There's been a few. I think one of the, you know, I mean, there, there's, there's, there's the literal, but I, I think the biggest mistake I made truly, and I think what would be most beneficial for everybody here was I didn't think big enough. I think that was, you know, I really, if I look back at, at what I feel like I fell flat on, it was, you know, I had these gifts and these potentials and, and it was this small little whisper of like, I think I can grow this business or I think I can. And I never really thought big enough. I thought just what was in front of me. I'm like, I want to be a laborer. I want to be a Mason. I want to be. And I think that was really a huge mistake for me was not, not just even allowing myself to feel what it would be like to have Dabara masonry in 10 States or, or just visualize that or, or to think that big. How many States are you in right now? One state. Okay. So you're thinking bigger on that front. Where did it cost you early in the game? Not, you know, thinking too small, like it must, what were the consequences? You know, obviously you've changed that thinking. You've got things in motion. You know, you're running a, a business that's blown past the million dollar mark. So what, what did it cost you to think small? So many things. I think, you know, it was missed opportunities. It was, you know, I mean, like I had a chance to be on a, a TV show uh, for, you know, contracting essentially. I, I was doing a quote and they, and I, I didn't even want to sign the waiver. I'm like, we're, we're the small business. I was worried about the brand, but I think ultimately I was, I wasn't thinking about the bigger picture. Just so many missed opportunities. Opportunity because you were, was it like fear of success, fear of telling your story, fear of the brand? I think all of it. I think it was just, you know, I, I thought very small. It was this, this, you know, small family business at the very beginning. And it was just, I was, I was very scared to lose what we had built mm -hmm. um, more so than thinking about growing. And, you know, I mean, I, I could go on and on about all the opportunities we had. I mean, just to do bigger projects, millions of dollars in bigger projects. We wouldn't do them. We, we would, we would, we, it was a certain threshold and, and a client would come out and say, Hey, can I have a commercial property? Can, oh no, we don't do these big commercial jobs. Like we just didn't think, you know, we didn't want to grow. We didn't, we didn't, you know, we, we wanted to be experts at this one thing and didn't want to make the uncomfortable transition into mastering something bigger. Yeah. That's uh, 
that's a big lesson, the idea of fearing losing what you built. So therefore you can start going backwards and you don't get outside your comfort zone. I was going to say, share a concrete example, which I was like, oh, geez, I can't say that right now. Um, I love that. This is great. This is really valuable, Matt. And I think for our listeners, you've got so much, I'm sure you've had a bunch of ideas pop up. And is there a piece of advice, a tip, something that you would want to share to other business owners? Maybe they're burning themselves out. Maybe they've lost the enthusiasm for what they've built. Maybe they're just not seeing the revenue that they want, or they're just unsure. How many times do I hear, I just want to go get a job? I've heard that. God, maybe I should just have a nine to five. But what advice would you say, maybe something I didn't ask about, little nugget, maybe a ritual, or just something that could help our audience go and, and take action, uh, something, some advice you could give that would help them. You know, it's, it's funny. I saw a friend of mine a few days ago, and we were talking about something similar. I would say the biggest piece of it is just to really, and, and it might sound cliche, but I want this to land and be heavy, is to truly never give up. There were so many times in my life where I was like, I don't think I can do this. And I asked myself one question, and, and this might be really helpful, is is this challenging me? Am I growing? Am I becoming a better person? I swore to myself about a year and a half ago, I said, if Debarra Masonry no longer does those things, I will walk away. And every single day, it does those things. I'm challenged, I'm growing, I'm outside of my comfort zone. So understanding that, that that is a benefit in and of itself. There were times where I was struggling with the business and people would be like, you should just give up. Why are you working so hard? You're working so many hours, you're this, you're that. And it's like, you know, that sounded nice because there's always that element of like, well, that'd be easy. But I flipped it in my head and I said, you know what? As long as I'm growing and being challenged and this isn't just overly easy and I'm, I'm becoming a better person because of it, I'm going to continue to persevere. So those questions for me were, were the, the flip in, in all problems and, and situations I have where I'm now excited by them. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. It's interesting. I have something called the gifts formula and we'll talk more, but it's, uh, it's an acronym. There's a deeper part of it, but I call it the gifts criteria. It allows you into the formula and without getting into too much detail, the questions are, if you can't say yes, get out, make a change, get it to yes. Are you giving and growing? Does it inspire you? Are you willing to focus only on this? Are you going to access to resources, tools, talents, and teams outside yourself to, to get outside of what you know so you can grow? Letting go, like we talked about. And then are you willing to say, how may I serve? That's the yes, service. So I love that you said that. I'm like, oh my God, he knows the gifts criteria. But I think you've done it. You've demonstrated that you've got that commitment. You, you've got the effort. You've got the tenacity. And can I say you've got the building blocks that I hope everyone's listening to. So... Matt, this has been awesome. Uh, I appreciate you so much being on the podcast. I know that our listeners are going to get a ton of value from it. And um, I, I think it'd be great for us to stay in touch. I, I absolutely loved, I'm like, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Because, you know, you don't just, you can't just say the stripes. You can't read about it in the book. Your stories, your insights, the answers that you shared demonstrate that you're in the trenches, doing the work, solving the problems. You don't come up with those conclusions just by getting it right the first time. Um, so, I would say uh, if people want to get in touch with you, I'd love to share something in the show notes or anything you can say right now for them to be able to reach out, get in touch with you. Maybe they get some, some masonry work or maybe they just want some advice. Where would they reach you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can send me an email. Um, I'm pretty straightforward. M-D-I-B-A-R-A, mdibara at gmail.com is awesome. And uh, yeah, we've got some exciting stuff coming out. I have a book for homeowners called The Undercover Contractor. So there'll be all sorts of cool stuff launching in the next month and a half, putting the finishing touches on it brought up an interesting point and, I, and I'm sorry, how, you have the undercover contractor, how not to get, we're going to say effed by your contractor and uh, you have a podcast. Is that right? We're going to launch that in about a month and a half as well, two months. The undercover contractor podcast. So 
That's super valuable. Um, I will put all that information down in the show notes. I hope to get my signed copy of your book because that's, that's awesome. So uh, thanks for being on the, on, the, on the podcast, man. Matt, it's been great. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much, Nate. All right, awesome. I'm Nate Lindquist with the Minimalist CEO Podcast. Thanks to everyone who's joined us, who's downloaded. Absolutely read the show notes. Send us questions. Help at the minimalistceo.com. And um, we're going to come back and we're going to help instead of adding a bunch to your business, adding a bunch to your strategy, we're going to help you strip away, focus on the essentials, and then plug in what works. Because when you share your gifts, you do the thing that is your gift, that is your quest, and then you find other people. It's not about asking how to do it. Huge overwhelm and waiting. It's about asking who can help out. W-H-O. Awesome. Thanks again, Matt. Talk to you soon. And uh, see you in the next episode. Thank you, Nate.